having this activity. Uh, it's, it's been good. I have enjoyed it and uh, learned some things along the way. Also, I want to note that I have been encouraged by uh, some of our ministers that used to be young. They're getting middle-aged, but how God's grown them. I'm really uh, thankful for some of the things I've heard and the truth that they brought in the presentations with which that they used to get it to us. And let's pray for them, that God would watch and care for them. I, I like the old ones too. I don't want to leave them out, but I, they're kind of a given. But uh, as these young men develop, it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing. One other thing along that line, I would uh, like to commend this group of young people back here that have been here every week. Uh, it's good that they get together and that they know one another at this stage in their life. Uh, in my life, we've lost too many people to our cause during that time of life. And it's good that they learn to know one another and that they um, come to things like this and, and attend service together and, and have their meetings and so forth. I appreciate them being here. Pray that God would watch and care for them. I will try to obey the clock tonight, um, but uh, I don't think that'll be a problem tonight, but kids were telling me the other night that I always haven't been too careful about that. Uh, when I was, uh, when they were teenagers and I was their pastor, they said sometimes I'd be preaching along at about 5 till 12. I would say, and secondly, and uh, when they were wanting to hear in conclusion, or finally. So uh, we will try to keep it in the time that is allowed. I appreciate everyone that's here and your patience, and appreciate your patience and your attention that you will uh, lend to me. The study of women in the Bible that we've been involved in has included some women that are uh, less well-known, I guess, than some. Uh, some of these women were good, some were less good, and some were just evil. Um, some of them were not given their name. My assignment this evening is Lot's daughters, and we don't know what their names were. That doesn't matter. There's some very significant people in the Bible that aren't named. The one comes to my mind when I think of that is the little maid. She was a slave. Her mistress probably referred to her as girl. Do this and do that. But oh, what a difference she made in Naaman's family. What a beautiful type that we get of a church that was to come hundreds of years later. I pray that God help our churches to just be a little maid. We don't have to be well known. We don't have to be famous. We just need to tell people about the Lord. That's what she did. Told the people about a, told this man, a man that was in need. He was attuned to that because he was in need. We live in a society, in a world that is in great, great need 
God help us to just be like that little maid. A favorite adult in my wife's life, in her childhood, addressed her, I'm told, as worthless. He always addressed her as worthless until one day he apologized for calling her worthless, saying that you can always be a bad example. She did serve a purpose. Of course, he was teasing her. He was a fine man. I learned to like him uh, very much when I got in the family. He was a preacher, Baptist preacher. This, these two women and all those that we have considered in this study are significant. They are significant because the Holy Spirit inspired men to put them in the Holy Writ. All Scripture, internally it tells us, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This book is totally different than every other piece of literature on the face of this earth. Not in kind, not in quality, in its origin. It is the Word of God. I hope you are a Bible student, and I know most of you are there here because you're showing an interest by your presence. But sometimes that Bible is just like it's speaking to me. It may be David that is expressing the thoughts, and his life is so drastically different than what mine is. But he felt the same things that I do. And he's with the God, and, and he gives me solace sometimes. When we need courage, he can provide that sometimes when we need correction. He says all spirit is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfectly furnished unto all good works. So we need to consider this evening these two unnamed women. I'm going to read uh, the, what the scripture says about them. And uh, it, I, I have it printed out on the outline. If you want to follow there, you can follow in your Bible, Genesis 19, 30 through 38. And Lot went up to Zoar and dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him. For he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with him, and he she, he perceived not when she lay down nor when she arose. And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in, and lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he perceived not when she lay down nor when she arose. They were both daughters of Lot with child by their father. The firstborn bare a son, called his name Moab. The second is the father of the Moab, the same is the father of the 
Abites unto this day. And the younger she also bare a son, and called his name Ben-Ami, and the same is the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. Life's events, uh, I don't think, ever happen in a vacuum. Since Satan usurped authority over the earth and mankind and womankind, both saints and sinners are afflicted by their environment. All men are troubled by sin and Satan, but, Satan, but saints have God and his promises to help them withstand the temptations and vexations of the devil. However, God will not, God will not protect his children from their own willfulness. The object of the lesson will place us two. Number one, to discuss circumstances that culminated in the action of Lot's daughters, and secondly, to examine some of the immediate and long-term consequences of those actions. Abram was chosen specifically by God to leave his country. God didn't tell him where to go. It was not Lot's choice. His only decision was to obey God's instructions. I don't know why Lot. Somebody uh, mentioned one night about the sovereignty of God. That's what this is, the sovereignty of God. God decided that. He had plans for Abraham. I think God has a purpose for you and a purpose for me. For that, Abram was promised that he would become a great nation and that through him that all the people of the world would be blessed. Of course, there he is referring to the fact that through his family that the Messiah, the Christ, would come into this world. The scripture is clear why Urban was to sojourn, but it's silent on the reason why that Lot was making the journey with him. Doesn't say anything about it. It just says he called uh, Abram. Abram followed, and his brother's son, his nephew, went with him. I think that's a good thing. Abram was a good man to be around. Lot was not, therefore, I think, a, a part of the promise because he was not a descendant of Abram, although he enjoyed the blessings of Abram. And when he was with Abram, he prospered. He prospered greatly. God prospered them both as they journeyed, and they became wealthy men. Remember, they were pilgrims. God called them to be pilgrims. There's people today in that area of the world that live that same way. They're called Bedouins. Still live in tents. Skin tents, ugly things. Now, they may have a Mercedes sitting outside it, but they live in a tent.
this prosperity ended up causing some problems. I guess they were kind of doing what would be a, a open range type of situation. Wherever they went, the countries, uh, they would talk to them sometimes and they'd allow them to be in their country. And uh, their flocks would, would uh, feed off of, the, off of the open range, kind of the best way I can think of it. And uh, it got where that they were so prosperous that the land couldn't bear them, couldn't support them. So they couldn't dwell together anymore. And as a consequence, there was some strife between the herdmen of Abram and the herdmen of Lot. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go the right. And if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest into Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. I think there we see the beginnings of some problems. The separation was absolutely necessary. Abram was very wise in insisting that they do that. He was very gracious to Lot. He being by far the greater of the two men, he was older, richer, more experienced, had obtained the promise of God. Still, Abram deferred to Lot by allowing him to choose the direction where he would go as they separated. You ever have some decisions to make in life thrust upon you? Wisdom, I think, would have dictated, this is my thinking, wisdom would have dictated, I think, that either Lot defer back to Abram, he could have done that, or at least, or maybe especially, seek the counsel of God. That's a major thing. When we make decisions in our life that are going to affect us and our family, we need some counsel. We need some counsel of someone with some knowledge, not of today, but of tomorrow. We need to ask that knowledge of someone who cares for us and loves us and wants what's best for us. Rather, Lot used his eyes. Not a very good 
standard to go by. Satan's real good at drawing pictures. He's real good at putting images before us. He looked his eyes to make this very important decision. I think men make, have to make those decisions today. Before I was really old enough uh, to understand this type of thing, I was a child, elementary child of some age. I don't know what age. I don't know exactly when this decision was made. My dad made a decision. My dad grew up very poor. Uh, his parents never owned any property. They kind of sharecropped, moved around a lot very poor. I don't know if he quit school in the 10th uh, grade or if he finished the 10th grade. But he had no education. He went and started working. He followed the wheat harvest out west, ended up in California. His parents were out there. World War II, got in service. The United States Army put him in the Army Air Corps, and they trained him as a hospital medic. Got out of the army and he didn't have any skills except he knew how to bandage and give elementary medical things. And so he went to the local hospital there in Springfield, Missouri, little osteopath hospital, became an orderly. He did well. They liked him. There wasn't any future, though. People there knew that. He was going to have to get some education or, or, or get qualified for something. He didn't have the wherewithal to do that. He had nothing. He had a wife and a, and a baby. And so in, in Springfield, Missouri is the medical center for federal prisons. And even though he didn't have an education, he was a veteran. And so he was able to get a job in, Missouri, in Springfield, they call it, at the medical center, which means the prison. He was a hard worker. He did well. When I was a little grade school kid, some age, they came to him and said, uh, you're doing a good job. We want to promote you. We want to put you in administration. We want to make you a lieutenant. The kicker is that prison service policy is that you cannot be promoted into administration unless you move to another prison. He told me he checked where all the prisons were. There wasn't one that he knew about where there was a church. They told him if you turn this down, you're closing all doors for the rest of your career. Of course, he turned it down. In 1956, I suppose not too many years after this, My parents were charter members at True Oak Missionary Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. In February, I was saved. Not only was I saved, but I got to grow up in a church in her first love. These were young families like my family. If I got up on Sunday morning and my mom wasn't cooking, I'd say, where are we going today? Because we got together every Sunday unless there was something special going on somewhere. I might have had more finances if he'd have taken that job. 
But where would I have been? Maybe I would have gotten saved. That's not an isolated thing. My generation made a lot of such decisions. I had a dear aunt. She was a church person. She was a strong church person. She had three children. All three of them were saved. And they made decisions professionally in things that they had to go elsewhere. One lived in Colorado and one lived in California. I don't know, but there, there weren't churches. Well, Grandpa and Grandma lived on a farm, and that was very, very attractive to the grandchildren. And so Grandma invited them. They came every summer and spent several weeks. Grandpa had them during the day. Yeah, they worked some on the farm, had some real fine fishing ponds, spent some time on the creek. He had them during the day, but Grandma had them at night and took them to revivals. Every one of them got saved. But there's one that lives close to her church today, and I don't think he attends, at least not very regularly. Our cause lost that family. The next generation, I, I, I think maybe there's a couple of them saved, I don't know. So see, these kind of decisions sometimes must be made. Life goes on, and, and, and we've got to face them. What would you do? I, I, again, I think Lot's problem, his, 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 uh, his deficiency here was the way that he made the decision. I don't know. I, I mentioned one thing that he could have done. I don't know what he should have done, but I do know I am confident that he should have counseled God. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of fathers upon their children unto the third and fourth generations. The children being born in that family today, as far as I know, don't have much chance to be saved. The church is not as strong as it should be because they are not there. I think that's what that means, the third and fourth generation. If my generation fails, where's the next generation? Despite their geographical separation, the relationship between Abram and Lot continued. Upon hearing that Lot had been taken captive, Abram armed 318 of his trained servants and pursued Lot's captures, captors, recovering all that had been taken. It was sure good to have a rich, powerful uncle in Canaan. It's a whole lot better to have an omnipotent father in heaven. God's for you who can be against you. He didn't say it will be convenient, but he'll provide what we need. 
He's there for us to go to. When the Lord shared with Abraham, moving on, uh, that he would destroy Sodom because of the gross sin in that city, Abraham, yeah, his name had been changed by this time, Abraham, knowing that Lot dwelled there, interceded. What a beautiful picture of intercession. Fortunately, we have an intercessor today in the great high priest that sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Wouldn't have a chance if it wasn't for that. And Abram drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are there? God agreed at this. And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham, with concern and love for Lot and his family, continued. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Will thou destroy all the city for lack of five? He said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. Abraham asked about forty righteous and thirty righteous and twenty righteous and finally made this request. And he said, Oh, let the Lord... Uh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way, and as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Now Peter, I'm, I'm sorry, Lot, even though he suffered, Lot is counted as just and righteous. Peter said so. I don't think he went to Sodom and became a gross sinner. I don't think Peter would refer to him as righteous if he was. What Peter said was, and delivered just Lot, vexed with filthy conversation of the wicked, and for that righteousness... Man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Lot had been enriched by God through Abraham and he appeared to be respected in Sodom. When the angels approached Sodom to deliver Lot and his family, they found him at the gate of the city among the elders. The city gate was a place which used to conduct official business, settle disputes and pass judgments. There's several instances in the Old Testament where we find men at the gate. One of them, parents of an unruly son, took, them, took him to the elders at the city gate. They've passed judgment. He was a, a grown man. He was a drunkard. He was rebellious. And he ended up being executed. Uh, so judged by, by these uh, elders. I want to read. A, a, I want to convey one that's familiar to us. Uh, that was done at the gate. Probably refer to it later. 
Then Boaz, up to the gate, went to the gate, and sat down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here, and be turned aside, and sat down. Let's review a little bit. Naomi and her two, her daughter-in-law, uh, came back to Israel. Of course, they were destitute. They were widows. And uh, she needed to sell her inheritance. And so uh, you can go back. By the way, the Bible's wonderful literature, and this book is a beautiful love story. But anyway, Boaz was there near kinsmen, and he kind of fell for Ruth. And so he saw that uh, the law said that the nearest kinsman had the first right to buy, to pay for that inheritance. And there was one that was ahead of him. That's what he's doing. He's calling there. And he asked him, he said, do you want to buy this property? And he said, yes, I want to buy it. He said, there's, a, there's a, a, an addendum here. He said, Naomi is only going to sell it to somebody that is willing to marry her daughter-in-law. He said, I can't do it then. He said, it's going to mess up things at my home. And so that fell to Boaz. And so Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, this is at the gate. You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was a Elimelech's and all that was Chilean's and Malan's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth and the Moabitess, the wife of Malan, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead. Upon his inheritance, that the name of the bed be not cut off from among the brethren and from the gate of this place. You are witnesses this day. We may look back at that later. Another place it's mentioned in the 31st chapter of uh, Proverbs, in all the commendations that is extended to a virtuous woman, says, her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. When the angels came to Sodom, uh, you remember there were not ten people in Sodom that were righteous, but God was not going to destroy those that were righteous, and so he sent a couple of angels that they would deliver Sodom and his family. You remember the city was exceedingly wicked and uh, the population, one of these angels. I'm not going to draw you any pictures. Let's look at it this way. He went outside the door. They were having a riot. Going to tear the door down. Going to tear the place up. 
And he said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. In other words, who is this guy? He came in here. He's not a native, and he expects to judge. He expects us to pay attention to us. He says, now we will deal worse with thee and with them. They weren't wanting to do anything good to these men, by the way, these angels. Their intent was totally evil. Totally, totally evil. And he said, it's going to be worse with him than it then we have intention for these two men. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. Of course, you know the story, I'm sure. Uh, don't want to mess with an angel of the Lord. And they struck them blind, and they couldn't even tell where they were. Then they set about to deliver Lot and his family from the place before it was destroyed. Now, Lot was a righteous man. Confirmed that, I think, by the esteem of Peter, according to the authority of the Word of God. But his wife, we learned, had a hard time turning loose. She looked back, told him what to do. She turned into a pillar of salt. Apparently had older daughters at least because he had some sons-in-law. And the angel said, do you have any family here? Anybody else that you can get and we can take them out also? Went to the sons-in-law. And they treated him as he mocked, made fun of him. I'm afraid that sometimes our gospel is like that a little bit. While Lot did not behave wickedly, I think he compromised. He just kind of let things go. It would be difficult to rear children in an environment like that. My wife and I were visiting a city one time. Uh, it's right after I retired. And I said, uh, some of the things we saw, I said, boy, I'd hate to try to rear kids in this place. You know, we went to the mall and the kids were spiky hair, you know, all that sort of stuff. And maybe most of the city wasn't that way. But what I saw, I, I would not have wanted to rear my children there or try to do so. When I was uh, first got into the school administration, school I was an administrator in, assistant principal, we had uh, three housing projects, uh, HUD projects. And uh, so we had kids there. And uh, we tried to account for everybody every day uh, that was absent. And uh, had a homeschool counselor that carried a sheriff's badge, and she wouldn't go in them. If I had to see somebody, I'd say, I'd call her up and I'd say, you got time to come pick me up? And we'd go check on this particular person. I told Sally I would try, I think, to fix a barn up a little and put my kids in there before I'd put them in a place like that. 
I mean, there were open drugs, you know, gambling in the halls, just all kinds of stuff. I'll tell you what, the world we live in today is a hard place to rear children. It's a hard, but it can be done. And God expects us to. I, I don't have time. We could get off on education here a little bit. We're, we're not going to do that. That education, you know, it, that responsibility falls one place. It's not on the state. It's not even on church. It's on the parents. The parents are responsible for their children's education. I used to be at O Union, and uh, I would sit on the interview of every potential new student we had would come in. And I would emphasize to them that you remain responsible for your child's education. Hopefully, we can help you to do that. But it remains your responsibility. Different times, different places, there may be different vehicles that we execute that with. But remember, that is your responsibility. A lot of our people, and I admire them if they're situated where they can, live in environments where they think they need to do that themselves. I, I commend them if that's necessary. And I think some environments it is. Didn't mean to get off on that, but I think these girls probably didn't have that instilled in them strongly enough. Let's look at Lot's daughters. Uh, Lot's daughters were not entirely without a knowledge of God. While Lot was weakened by his surroundings, he retained knowledge and respect for God. He probably told his daughters about what was wrong in the city, but he lacked the courage to lead them out of Sodom. His pattern of compromise set a poor example for his family. I'm surmising there, that's not out in plain language. Lot's daughters had personally seen God act on their behalf when the angels blinded the attacking Sodomites to protect them from Lot's foolishness. They knew that Sodom's destruction was the result of the city's great wickedness in God's sight. They knew that the destruction was temporarily delayed so that his angels could take their hands and lead them to safety without the city. When their mother turned to salt, a pillar of salt in their sight, they understood that God keeps his word. They had enough knowledge to choose faith in God over fear. Fear led to their shameful sin. You notice that the angels took them to the mountain, and they didn't want to go there, so they went to Zoar. He said, cannot we go there? It's a little city. It's a little one, isn't it? You know where they ended up? In a mountain, in a cave. God knows what's best for us because they were afraid in the city. Let's summarize. Abraham was called by God to be a stranger and a pilgrim. His nephew Lot was blessed to join that pilgrimage. After a necessary separation of Abraham and Lot, Lot departed from the life of a pilgrim. He chose to dwell in a city, an exceedingly wicked city. 
Now, I don't think he went there for the wickedness, but he saw it was there. He didn't have any business staying, I don't think. <laughs> Lot departed from the life of a pilgrim. He chose to dwell in a city, an exceedingly <laughs> wicked city. That choice led to the loss of all his possessions and also to his surviving daughters giving birth to two nations that opposed Abraham's descendants, the Moabites and the Ammonites. Centuries later, Ruth, a Moabitess, married Abraham's descendant, Boaz. That's what I read to you all ago. He bought her. He was rich enough to buy her. Jesus is exceedingly rich. And one day he's going to stand at the city gate. He's going to stand and it's going to be declared, she's mine. I bought her. I paid for her. Married Abraham, descendant Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. Boaz and Ruth had a son, Obed, a grandson, Jesse, a great-grandson, David, the king of Israel. This is part of the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah Christ, our kinsman redeemer. So God brought good out of terrible events. When we find ourselves at what seems to be the end of our world, he redeems and restores us. God turned Satan's intended evil into our eternal good. Only good, only God can bring good out of evil. Satan sought to destroy Christianity with a cross. Haman sought to slay Mordecai, hang him. That gallows was used. It wasn't used on Mordecai. It was used on Haman. The cross didn't destroy Jesus. It won the victory for Jesus. It, 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 he didn't destroy Jesus. It won the victory. It destroyed Satan. So we see here that God took something bad, did something good with it. Fortunately, he can do that, there, thereby I have an opportunity to serve him. Amen. Oh, yes.